I am Dr. Barbara Kiel, and some clients of mine prefer to call me Dr. Bibi. And to be honest, I quite like it. Welcome to my podcast. To be honest, a podcast that is born out of mental health efficacy. I believe in the power of intention, and my intention for this podcast is to educate whoever wishes to listen, and to make a paradigm shift in how we perceive mental illness. I also believe mental health education is key, and that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is to invest. In your own mental health. Let's face it, we all need to learn how our minds work, and have the skills to deal with life's ups and downs. And more importantly, let us strengthen our ability to better connect with and support each other. Strong, empathetic. Nurturing and caring relationships have the power to prevent everyday challenges from becoming more concerning issues like mental illness. The responsibility to renew focus on your own mental well-being begins now. Let us set the energy of this episode together. You may wish to put your hand on your heart. And close your eyes, unless you're driving or operating heavy machinery. So take a deep breath in, and as you exhale, let your thoughts go. Let all the tensions and worries go, and let your past go. Now take a moment to plug into the greater energy of the universe. Feel your heart, and imagine us all connected in a unified field of divine white light. And know that you are safe. All is well, and so it is. So take another deep breath in, and exhale out loud with a sigh. And when you are ready, slowly open your eyes. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to To Be Honest. As promised in today's episode, I am going to continue sharing with you some of the most common controlling techniques that used by love addicts. First is image management. Now, image management is what love addicts do to control someone's impressions of them through what amounts to deceit and dishonesty, or just hiding who they really are. When they are just getting to know someone, love addicts who are image managers, they would try to filter out information about themselves that may not look good. They may also tell outright lies about who they are or what they have done in the past. They may also tell too much about their miserable existence as a means of soliciting pity. 
they may also try to make an all-out effort to promote their best side. This means spending a great deal of time and energy looking just right, saying the right things, and being in the right place at the right time. It means being inflexible and a perfectionist. Now, please take note: the main agenda for a perfectionist is to manage shame. Now, this is what it looks like for an image manager. Once they get into a relationship, they will try to become the person they think their lover wants them to be, no matter what the cost is. More often than not, they tend to give their partner mixed signals. Now, this is because love addicts vacillate between saying what they really mean and what their partner wants to hear. So, for example, love addicts may initially say no to their partner about something, and then quickly change their mind if their partner has a negative reaction. Sometimes, love addicts even volunteer to do something for their partner. As a way to score points, of course, but they get angry at their partner when it comes time to deliver. Love addicts are almost always image managers. They rationalize this as a normal part of getting their mate or putting their best foot forward. But actually, their behavior is motivated by their need to control and the fear that they are unlovable. So therefore, the more insecure love addicts are, the more driven they are to protect, promote, or manage their image to ensure the survival of their relationship or keep the attention of a lover. Now, more often than not, children who grow up in dysfunctional homes learn image management early because they are trying to hide the truth about their family. And unfortunately, later it becomes a habitual way of relating to people. So assess if you are an image manager, and if you are, be more honest about who you are and learn how to be true to yourself. Do not lie or make yourself over just because you are desperate to get someone's attention. But instead, build up your self-esteem so you do not feel the need to hide behind an image or facade. Another healthy suggestion is to say what you mean and then stick to it. If you say no, don't change your mind just to keep your partner happy. It is not your responsibility. Don't offer to do things you really do not want to do. Or to give people things you really do not want to give them. Learn to be truthful to yourself. Okay, the second most common controlling technique used by love addicts is nagging. Now, nagging is not an exclusive controlling technique for love addicts. As a matter of fact, it is quite a common technique used by a lot of people. Nagging is an attempt to wear someone down so they will give in to you, even if they don't want to. Now, love addicts love to nag if it works, because sometimes it doesn't, right? It is a non-threatening way to get what they want or need, because they don't know how to communicate their needs in any other way or how to find a person who doesn't need to be nagged. 
Therefore, nagging becomes a habitual way to manage a partner rather than face the inadequacies of the relationship or work on improving themselves. It is important to remember that nagging includes non-stop criticism and unsolicited advice. So, my audience. If you find that nagging is your way of trying to control your partner, or the only way you can get your needs met, you might consider making changes. Begin by not giving in to the temptation to nag. State what you consider to be a reasonable request, and then drop it. If you are ignored, then discuss how this is undermining the relationship. And if this communication does not get results, then consider ending the relationship. Avoid giving constant unsolicited advice. The healthy way is to give suggestions every now and then. Stop endless criticism. Remember John Gottman's "The Four Horsemen." One of the horsemen is criticism. Offer constructive criticism once or twice, and then let it go. Try to detect early on in a relationship whether or not the person you are with has to be nagged before they will consider your needs. It would be wise to look for unsolicited affection and consideration from the start of the relationship. And the last healthy suggestion is to work on improving yourself, not nagging others to change. After all, they are responsible for initiating their own self-improvement. Again, it is not your responsibility. The next is being helpless. Acting helpless around a partner is another classic passive-aggressive controlling technique. Mind you, a lot of people, including love addicts, who are using these controlling techniques, some are aware of it. And some are not. Now that you have learned about it, no more excuses for not being aware of these unhealthy behaviors. Basically, when using、uh, being helpless, it projects the unspoken message that I can't survive without you. So if this works, a love addict will try it again and again. Now I dislike to say this because I'm a woman. However, research has shown that women, especially, like to rationalize this as being feminine or stroking a man's ego. They won't do anything alone, and they avoid all activities that suggest they can take care of themselves. So, my audience, if you are a person who likes the image of being helpless, stop being totally dependent on your partner as a means of controlling them. However, don't confuse accepting support from your partner with acting helpless. The goal is to learn to be able to discern when to ask and accept help, and when to be responsible for the things that you can do for yourself. Next controlling technique is projecting guilt. Often, when love addicts find themselves in a situation where their needs are not being met, they attempt to manipulate the situation by trying to make their partner feel guilty. To be honest, most of us have been there and done that. 
So what they do is to keep a long list of their partner's transgressions and won't hesitate to remind them of every mistake they ever made. I have a saying for that, and that is to serve up old soup. For some, they play the martyr when their partner is out of line. An example would be, "Hey, don't forget, I give up my career for you," hoping this will stimulate remorse and change. A healthy suggestion is to learn how to tell the difference between honestly pointing out the truth and trying to make your partner feel guilty as a controlling technique. Making your partner feel guilty may get short-term results, no doubt, but it is still not an emotionally mature way to interact with someone, particularly someone that you love. And in the long run, believe me, it erodes a relationship. So if your partner is constantly doing things which they should feel guilty about, then something is wrong with the relationship, and changes should be made. Now, remember, don't accept outrageous behavior just so you can use it later to make your partner feel guilty. It just harms you even further. Okay, next is a biggie: the silent treatment. Again, is one of Gottman's four horsemen, and he coins it stonewalling. Of course, silent treatment is also part of the love addict's long list of passive-aggressive controlling techniques, and it is used to get a partner's attention or to make them feel guilty. Or it can be a way of getting even when they are not cooperating. So, of course, few people will admit that they are using the silent treatment as a controlling technique. They rationalize it as a normal reaction to failed communication or as a way of shutting down out of frustration. Well, okay, it is true that there is a fine line between being silent because all else has been said and done, or because you are being contemplative. And using silence as a controlling technique instead of other more helpful forms of communication. Nevertheless, my audience, I urge you to be mindful every time you choose to use this technique. So that means become aware of when you are using the silent treatment to gain power in the relationship, and when you catch yourself with hidden motivations for being quiet, break the ice and try to open lines of communication. Remember, it is all right to be silent in order to be contemplative, to take a break from arguing, or to process your heightened emotions. But don't use it as a way of getting even or of forcing someone to give in to you. Silence is not called for when someone is trying to communicate with you in order to work things out. Next technique is sex. Now, sex has historically been a powerful way to keep your partner hooked or under control. Now, there are names for this sort of control, such as seduction, bedroom politics, or pillow talk. 
Now, if love addicts have a sexual hold on their partner, they will not hesitate to use it to keep a tight rein. Some love addicts rely so heavily on their ability to keep a partner coming back for more that they panic when there is something on the agenda besides making love. So they feel unlovable if the relationship does not include sex, and worry about losing their partner if lovemaking grows stale. So a healthy suggestion would be: don't use sex to get your way. Passion between people is wonderful, but it should be experienced and appreciated, not used as a way to control someone. More importantly, don't use a person's sexual attraction to you as a way to decrease your fears of losing them to someone else. So seek professional help and learn to face your fears. And if your sexual desirability is linked to your self-esteem, work on believing that you have something else to offer in a relationship besides sex. Another controlling technique that is commonly used by a love addict is stimulating jealousy. Because love addicts are so insecure, they need constant reassurance that a relationship is going strong. So, in their way of distorted thinking, stimulating their partner's jealousy is an attempt to capture this reassurance, to control it. It is also used as a way to keep one's partner on edge and anxious to please. Or sometimes it is used as a way to draw a partner back into a relationship when they seem to be straying. So of course, this is often rationalized as an acceptable way to keep the relationship exciting, but it is really a controlling technique and has no place in a healthy relationship. An important fact, my audience: jealousy is not love. Jealousy is a form of insecurity. So if you are in the habit of trying to make your partner jealous, stop it. Definitely, do not flirt with others outrageously just to get their attention. Maybe consciously making your partner jealous may seem exhilarating and bring you badly needed reassurance. But do you think the distress it causes your partner is really healthy? Is that a loving behavior? So let's face it: if you need to make your partner jealous to feel loved, then you need to see a professional to work on your emotional neediness and give your partner a break. Another technique is attack or hysteria or rage. Now, this controlling technique is an adult version of a temper tantrum. It is how love addicts attempt to recapture control when they feel that they are not. Typically, women get hysterical and men fly into a rage, but these roles can be reversed. Now, of course, hysteria is a passive-aggressive controlling technique like the others I have mentioned, but rage is an overt controlling device. Now, both hysteria and rage are characterized by excessive or uncontrollable emotions such as fear or panic, and can manifest themselves as irrational tears, laughter, anger, or violence. 
They can also be self-induced as a dramatic ploy, but actually they are usually a genuine reaction to desperation and fear. So the paradox of hysteria and rage is that they are attempts to gain control by losing control. Now it sounds irrational, isn't it? But hey, that's how our psyche works. It is extremely complex, to say the least. So, as controlling techniques, both hysteria and rage are very effective because they can be very intimidating. People are easily convinced to give the hysterical or angry person whatever they need to calm them down. So, if you have a tendency to get hysterical or fly into a rage under stress, then consider the possibility that you might be unconsciously trying to take control of the situation in order to calm your fears. This is actually the little child within you who is overreacting to the stress, and you must learn to return to the adult ego state and nip your rising hysteria in the bud. You may not believe it now, but you do have a choice. And if you don't know how, it's time to seek professional help. Now, if you need something and your partner won't respond to your need, then let it go and talk about it later. Do not panic. Do not try to take control of the situation by becoming hysterical or violent. It only brings about a temporary reprieve or makes things worse. So, if your overall needs are not being met in the relationship and long-term negotiations are not effective, then again, you might just have to give up on this relationship. Why? Because their behaviors show you that they don't really care enough to understand your needs and wants, isn't it? So, my audience, I'm going to end this episode by offering you、uh, some consideration of the following techniques for staying calm. So, when you feel an attack or hysteria or rage is coming on, give yourself reassurance. By meditating, or take deep breaths, or say affirmations such as "I am safe, all is well," or you may want to call a friend who understands, or go for a walk. Sit down and write about what you are feeling. It will definitely be beneficial to you in the long run if you learn to flow with the situation. Let everything work itself out naturally. And if your partner is leaving, then let them go. Of course, you will feel uncomfortable feelings, but that's normal. Tell yourself you are not being abandoned, but that you both need time to sort things out. To be honest, the bottom line is this: nothing is worth having if you have to get hysterical or fly into a rage to get it. Remember that. So until next week, stay safe, learn heaps, and find the courage to be honest. Bye for now. You can find this podcast. 
to be honest, on Apple Podcast, Spotify, and my website, www.drbarbarakiao.com. D R B A R B A R A K I A O.com. 